Welcome back, guys. This is episode number two of the Sports Law 101 podcast. My name is Ryan McLaughlin. I'm here with Aiden Checkett, and today we'll be talking about NCAA athletes and whether or not they should be paid, the dynamics, the legal landscape around that question. It's been a hot topic for several years, and Aiden's going to run through today kind of the lay of the land. We're going to talk about the legal issues that arise. This is going to be short and sweet, but check it out. We'll go through it rapid fire. So Aiden, um, give everybody who knows nothing about the NCAA the kind of 30,000 foot, 30 second synopsis of why this is an interesting question and what's happening. Yeah, for sure. So the NCAA or the National Collegiate Athletic Association is the entity that regulates almost all college sports, including all the major ones you've heard of. Um, and this lawsuit essentially has to do with the fact that the NCAA has pretty stringent what they call amateurism rules, where no athlete who competes for an NCAA team can make any money off of their athletic endeavors. So a lot of athletes are upset about this because the schools that they attend are making thousands and sometimes not millions of dollars off of, you know, their sports and marketing and so forth. So there's been a lot of tension over this over the years, and it really seems to be kind of coming to a head right now. So, so, so why, what's the policy reason? What's the basic reason for not paying athletes thus far? So the NCAA has kind of codified amateurism as a key part of its message. Under NCAA bylaw 12, athletes are not allowed to be paid for their athletic skills and they're not allowed to receive any financial benefit for their status as student athletes. Um, in return for this, at least at a division one level, a number of athletes are receiving tuition benefits, sometimes housing fees. Um, essentially, they are being, they're given a full ride, at least for top caliber athletes playing sports like football or basketball in recompense for not receiving any money for their athletic endeavors. Got it. So... I'm still not clear. And maybe this is the interesting part of the thing. This is the interesting part of the issue and the, maybe the crux of the issue. It's still not clear to me what the policy reason is for not, because I understand that I understand the bylaw, mm -hmm. but what's the, like, what's the rationale? Why don't we want, if you're playing NCAA basketball, you go to the final four, you generate a bunch of views, ads, clothing, apparel, everything, recognition, branding for the school. Why don't we pay them? why not pay him a hundred? Why, why not pay him something? You know? No, absolutely. And I think there are two answers to this. One of them is rooted in sort of the tradition of amateurism. This is something that's been really romanticized for since the beginning, really, with the Olympics. And the Olympics, ideally, at least in the past, only amateur athletes were allowed to compete. Obviously, things have changed in that regard, but there's this sort of tradition of idealizing amateurism. The second reason, which I think is probably more strong nowadays, cynical. They haven't had to, and not paying their athletes saves the schools a lot of money over the long run. But in at least some sports now, things are changing and other avenues are opening up where these athletes could be compensated. So that's why I think there's even more pressure now on the NCAA to do that. 
Okay, interesting. So <clears throat> I like the, so the, the romantic idea, so neither of these are legal constraints. One is a practical constraint that we haven't ever had, we could skate by completely um, pillorying these athletes, so to speak, or monetizing them, you know, without really having to pay is, you know, I think that's, that, that certainly is occurring. And that's not, that's not disputable, right? That's just, that's just a look at, at the past. But so that's not an argument in and of itself about the fact that we haven't done it and haven't had to, isn't a compelling argument to me about why it shouldn't be done the in the future. The, the, the other reason is that like this romanticization of amateur quote unquote amateur collegiate athletics that seems to be on point and what's underneath that like what is it about like what is because people i've spoken to people about this just kind of casually and they have strong opinions that just college athletes shouldn't be paid for some unknown reason it's just curious to me cult is there is there research on like is this detrimental to health happiness is it what are the perverse incentives that we're trying to avoid i think a lot of it is that especially with collegiate athletics, people like to see this sort of image of accessibility and relatability. Like, you know, these guys are, especially, you know, if you're an alumni of that school, you know, these guys are just like me. They go to my school, they just play sports, and we're all sort of one broader community. And I think paying people would sort of dispel that notion and create more of a gap and a divide. And I think there are, you know, a number of other elements. There are certainly racial elements for some people. There are... Well, hold on, hold on one second. Let's stop right there. I'm with you so, I'm with you so far that it would create a, a nuance or an additional layer to the dynamic of the collegiate community insofar as some people, i.e. athletes, and amidst that community, um, the talented athletes are receiving compensation. So I, I understand that introduces complexity, now, I'm not sure that the introduction of complexity is a compelling reason not to go through with something unless there's negative collateral consequences, which is, I, th I think, where you're going racially. Oh, but what do, we mean, what do we mean by racially here? Well, I think racially just to some degree, and, you know, again, I mean, I don't want to accuse a large number of people of this or anything, but we're dealing with you know, especially at a level of high level monetized college sports, which is chiefly college football and men's college basketball, we're dealing with predominantly black athletes. And I think that when you're dealing with a viewership that's still predominantly white because of, you know, demographic factors, I think that there can be sort of a disconnect and a lack of, you know what I mean? Like a lack of empathy perhaps for these athletes. And that might be part of why people are less likely to take their side on issues like this. Well, how does, oh Jesus. You okay? We're okay. Jeez, sorry guys. Shouldn't lean on that top shelf. Oh, okay. Um. What were you just saying? Um, there's this there's this problem of empathy. Mm -hmm. Now, but and I this is this is perhaps the conversation of the day, right? But like, how does 
how is how is that also not a concern for prof- how does professional sports uh, let's just talk about nfl and nba avoid the exact dynamic that you just described with arguably like let's just i mean i guess the first question is is your characterization correct that there's predominantly white viewership with predominantly african-american playership if that's correct which i'm assuming it's more correct than not um how does the the professional leagues avoid this the kind of critique and i i think that comes down to just the fact that there is this like what i was talking about earlier this sort of romantic connection between college and college athletics in that people you know, people want players to be playing for the love of the college, for the love of the university, because a lot of the fans have that love of university. And also that sort of shared experience whereby they want, you know, the fact that these athletes are paying, are getting full tuition sometimes, or benefits like that, you know, things that a lot of the viewers can only dream of. They want that to be incentive enough, because that builds this feeling of everyone's in it for the community, everyone's in it for the school, in a a way that I think we understand that professional athletes a lot of the time are doing things for the money. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. So what are the legal issues? Yeah, so there have been a number of lawsuits. A lot of them have hinged on antitrust law. Um, White versus NCAA in 2008, the NCAA was sued because scholarships only covered tuition fees, room, board, and books, whereas expenses like travel, school supplies, um, and other expenses were not covered by these, uh, like uh, scholarships they were receiving. So they, athletes claimed that this was a violation of antitrust law because the NCAA has such a monopoly on athletics in a lot of sports. And the NCAA actually settled and promised that they would start paying athletes insurance and these other um claims that they were asking for hold on break it down even break it down slower and sure. make make it more i don't understand what the so i guess let's go down let's go in chunks what is the what is the heart of an anti like what is antitrust what's the heart of an antitrust claim yeah so antitrust is rooted in the idea that and i you know you're the lawyer here so correct me if i'm wrong but that no business should hold the sole market in any given, you know, for any given product or industry, or and that we need to do things to promote sort of like a, you know, a more widespread array of providers in the market. And that if there is only one provider, they need to they can't just, you know, act exclusively in self-interest. They need to help out their consumers and help out those in the market. Correct. So what's the so what is so what's the connection? Can you draw the connection really tightly yeah. for everyone to you mentioned travel and insurance. Those are the two things I heard. So what's the the NCAA like let me try and stumble through it and you pick up the slack. The NCAA is a monopoly. Is that the correct is that correct? So antitrust applies. Yeah, they're a monopoly in pretty much every major collegiate sport. Okay. And so what's the, what is it that they're not potentially providing fairly that needs to potentially be regulated? 
So traditionally in the past, before this lawsuit, scholarships would cover tuition, remain board, and some fees. But it didn't cover school supplies, insurance, and some travel costs. Travel costs required to participate in the sport? Or which travel costs? Yeah, I actually, I'm going to be honest, I'm not completely sure on the nuance of that. But I think, I know insurance was the key point in the settlement. And that's insurance, probably- Insurance, possible. like health insurance? Like they're, like the players were playing in the NCAA, but like if their knee blew out, they themselves would have to pick up the cost for the knee blown out? Is that yeah, the- I, th- I, think, I think that's what it was, yeah. Okay, so, so then what happened? So, so, so then why is this relevant? Why shouldn't we just say that NCAA now has to provide insurance? Why can't, shouldn't, isn't the issue then the NCAA needs to, in addition to a full scholarship has to include the knee surgery and health insurance? I think the importance of this is that it really opens up the idea that the NCAA is a monopoly under, you know, in their business and that this opened, um, the door for more antitrust lawsuits, um, which there are other notable examples of, which I can get into. Yeah, so, okay. So you're right. It does show the ways in which the NCAA has dangerously monopolized this and to the detriment of the players and to the benefit of themselves. So then the question is, so, so is this kind of, it seems like a kind of complicated area where whereby payment of athletes. So is that where this question emerges is what is fair for these treatment of these athletes yeah and i there was another lawsuit on antitrust um o'bannon versus ncaa so this is interesting because when we think of you know these athletes would be paying a lot we usually think that they would be they'll be paid in their pro careers so it matters a lot less if they get paid as college athletes but Players like Ed O'Bannon, who was the plaintiff in this lawsuit, are, you know, really successful in college, but then might flame out and only play a couple of years in the pros. Mm-hmm. So Ed O'Bannon sued the NCAA because the NCAA was making money off of his appearance and his identity through a video game, NCAA basketball. Mm-hmm. And he argued that he should be paid for the fact that there is, you know, like a commercial video game market that's utilizing his identity and his appearance. Sure. And the judge, sorry, go on. Go ahead. Was he successful? Yeah, he was. The judge ruled that barring payments to athletes for video games and other commercial, you know, utilization of their identities does violate antitrust laws, which I think seems to open the door towards the idea of payment. Super interesting. Yeah. So, so say that last thing one more time. Say what you just said one more time. Sure. Okay. Let me, actually, let me see if I can get it because I think, I think you have it, but I don't. So the idea is that if he's prevented from collecting royalties on this video game that uses his image and likeness, if he's prevented that that violates antitrust law, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. But did the judge say that this guy needs to be paid? Yes, I believe so. But what's interesting is the NCAA, because of this, they just shut down that video game series. There's no more NCAA basketball since that lawsuit. 
Wow, that is incredible. And have they shut down? Are there other video games that use the like? I don't know anything about video games either. So, are there video games out there that use the image and likeness of college former college athletes that are on the table for the chopping block on this one? I believe no, not at this point. I know there used to be a similar college football game, but I think I don't think there are any video games now that are licensed to use NCAA athletes, likely because of this lawsuit. Holy cow, that is insane. I mean, given the popularity of college sports, I can only see that this is going to explode in the next year. Given yeah. the fact that college sports may be happening in fanless arenas, if at all, the online, I mean, the market, the, that is just insane. The amount of money at stake for NCAA to monetize sports online is tremendous. So there's going to be, there has to be some, I mean, one can only imagine that the easy, the easiest way to do this is to pay the college kids some money and then the NCAA can still rake in the rest. Totally agree. Um, so where, so that, where are we today? Or, or yeah. So the NCAA actually just, the board of governors voted in October of 2019 to allow athletes to benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness. So what this means is that athletes can, you know, go on TV and do spot ads for local businesses. They can sell autographs. They can essentially market themselves. This will not be the same as schools paying athletes, and there are still a number of concerns over this, but this seems to be a pretty huge step. So wait, the last part was probably the most important. Mm -hmm. What was the last clause that you just said? That this is it's allowed, but there's still concerns. There, I th I think there are a lot of concerns over whether this is really going to be equitable. It seems to me that this is something that's going to benefit, you know, like the you know the star quarterback of the team or, you know, the best basketball player on the team. That this might not really help. Because, you know, ultimately, they're making money off the team, especially at a college level. Star players help, but ultimately, it's about the team brand, and every player is a part of that. And only some players are marketable in and of themselves, but every player is making the college money. So at least to me, this, makes, this is not enough. Is there any indication that there will be some collective bargaining on behalf of the players? Does that exist like it does in the professional leagues? That's a great question. I have not seen anything about that, but that would be a great idea. I know that this is, I think, related. We've seen a lot of graduate school, like, you know, graduate school students who are employees of the college by virtue of teaching form unions in recent years. And I think that would be a really excellent parallel for, um, you know, football or basketball players to use. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta get on that. Um... I want to see why an NCAA players union, apparently it doesn't exist. Because I just Googled a sports lawyer explains what an NCAA players union would look like. But I want to see, I want to see why it's not. Can we, can we cover that? Can we cover that? Um, what do we have slated for episode three? Do we have that on the table yet? Or what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, that would work. I was hoping that we could take a look at unionization in the minor leagues of, you know, like the G League for the NBA. So I think we could probably just have an episode on sort of 
new efforts toward unionization in sports. I think that would be really fascinating. That's not something I've seen a lot of people talking about. So, yeah, well, I mean, I'm just, I think it's the obvious answer, right? Like if all the college players say, hey, look, we're not going to play or what, I mean, that's, that's their leverage point. We're not going to play unless X, Y, Z happen. And X, Y, Z is, I mean, basically payment in some sort or mm -hmm. ability to, to receive some of the profits for something. I think, I think that'd be super interesting. Let's do that. Let's add that to the agenda. And then everybody who's listening, that'll be episode three. So stay tuned for that. We'll do a deep dive into unionization on minors. Um, minors is what you said, right? Minor leagues? Yeah. Yep. Minor leagues across sports or just football? Uh, I know the most about basketball in that, but I definitely think we can take a look at status across. I mean, you know, baseball and hockey both have really developed minor league systems. Football does not really in this country, but. Okay, so we'll look at minor leagues and then I also, so we'll do half minor leagues and then I also want to look at this question about the NCAA and why, why today there's still not a players union. It seems crazy to me. So let's look at minors and then the NCAA. Um, let's wrap this up. Anything we missed or any other salient points? I mean, just to recap from my perspective, um, what did I learn from this episode? I learned that there's a lot of like cultural hesitation, it seems, and not so much that, that, that there seems to be two things, antitrust and the kind of this cultural thing about athletes and colleges and communities and payment kind of muddying the waters. That's the first thing I see, which is really an interesting psychological cultural thing about money and higher education. And I think that we're in a spot where higher education is gonna implode or is imploding, or at the very least, at the most conservative, it's changing drastically. Yeah. Um, I personally think it's an institution that won't be around in 15 to 20 years because I think that knowledge is a commodity and, and YouTube has everything and so does Google. So I think that that like cultural hesitation to pay athletes is, is, is it's not a legal concern. I think it will, it will fade. The antitrust is the interesting legal area whereby I think it seems pretty clear that I mean, you want to know what antitrust is at a policy level. It's just, we think the NCAA is taking, it's, it's effectively slavery, right? They're taking advantage of a population, taking all the money. And at the, at the end of the day, we just think it's unfair. <laughs> I think the antidote to that is unionization and collective bargaining, which probably the players just haven't had the historical wherewithal, right? To kind of sit, think and realize and self-actualize and say, Hey, we really can demand. Let's do it. Let's go. So this is super fascinating. I'm super excited for episode three. Um, we'll get that. We'll get that scheduled soon. But guys, thanks for listening. Aiden, any last thoughts to wrap this up? Yeah, just that the one thing I did want to touch on briefly is I think we're really going to see a lot of pressure because in a lot of sports, especially basketball, people are saying enough is enough. And when you look at this year's NBA draft, you've got, you know, two top American prospects, neither of whom are playing in the NCAA because they didn't want to. You know, they wanted to make money. They wanted to train on their own. They said enough is enough. And there are, you know, multiple five-star prospects next year who are going to play in the minor leagues. So I think the NCAA is really kind of, kind of feeling it, and they're going to have to change something. And I'm excited to see what happens. Awesome. Thanks, Aiden, guys. Thanks for listening. If this was helpful, interesting, educational, exciting, follow, um, follow on any podcast app that you're listening to. We'll have more episodes coming up soon on the intersection of sports and the law. This is Sports Law 101. 
Uh, we're happy to have you guys here. Be super well. And thanks for listening.